0: revealing of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy And the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Lord, um, wow, you are amazing. We struggle to grasp you. We struggle to see you. We struggle to comprehend you. You are above and beyond. You are over all. You are the faithful witness. You're the firstborn of the dead. You are the ruler of kings on earth. You love us. You've freed us. You've made us a kingdom of priests of the Father. You know it all. You are eternal. You are the Almighty. As we talked last Sunday, from that passage, you are His majesty, King Jesus. And as was just sung, we glorify your name. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Last Sunday, we started... In uh, what is, we're covering the first three chapters of Revelation. And next Sunday, we'll be getting into the first of the seven churches of Revelation. And by the way, how the humorous irony of this is, last Sunday, we started into Revelation. And our attendance last Sunday, we had 666 people. <laughs> Not kidding. Oh, the irony, God has a humor. Well, as we talked about last Sunday, um, in this uh, Revelation is first and foremost about seeing Jesus. Okay, I understand, and as we talked, I understand it has all things talking about what's in the future, and that's very attractive and very interesting, and 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 it goes there. And uh, Lord willing, and as I've told you in 2015, we'll be going there from chapter four through the rest of the book, but. Uh, the first words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, as we talked about last Sunday in verse 1 there, it's the revealing of, or as I talked about it, it's the ta it's the ta-da of Jesus Christ. It's as though God the Father has said, hey, uh, Jesus, it is now time for you to reveal yourself in a way that, frankly, really has never been revealed to this fullness. It's now time to lay out your full majesty and your full glory and your full power. And it's time for the people to see the real you, honestly, as you have always been. That's what I love about Revelation. We get too caught up sometimes into the end times details. Revelation takes us to an understanding that Jesus Christ in all reality today and in the future is not just some poor carpenter's son. It's not the hippie sandal Jesus that's kind of walking around teaching things and sometimes kind of uh, portrayed that way. Um, it's not the mocked and the beaten Jesus. It is a revelation, one Jesus. And it's really important that we see this. Friends, I invite you to be refreshed with a new understanding and a new view of the second person of the Trinity. Because it's amazing. Well, let's go there. Let's go in verse 9, okay? We'll finish the chapter today. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of jesus let's pause here and talk about this a little bit for uh, i think there's a number of things that helps us grab a hold of one we're talking about john the apostle one of the 12 disciples Uh, this is the guy that in the new testament jesus said is like jesus really loved this guy i mean there's friends and then there's like friends and then there's like you know just some that are just like man that is so my just i love that guy i just love that guy and that's who John was 60 years earlier this John had seen Jesus Christ the incarnate Jesus Christ up very close and personal for a good period of time and and I think we could say and when it says I John it grabs my attention because John is a big dude in biblical history I mean he's one of the 12 and he's written books of the Bible and and John is like John man uh, and this is this is uh, this is a stud of God's redemptive plan in history. But I want for us to notice, look at how John says, John, your brother and your partner. Brother. He doesn't say John the lecturer. He doesn't say John the author and famous one. He says, John, your brother. A brother. That's someone who's part of the same family, has the same parent. Wow. Wow. That's John, a brother. Hey, if you're in Christ Jesus, you got some bros, man. And John is one of them. And he feels that way. Also, the next word he says is is participant or partner. NIV says companion. But I love the word participant because that's really what it means. It's one that's in it with you. That's what he's saying. Hey, I'm your brother and I'm in this with you. Not separate from, not above, but one of, one with. And John is a partner and a brother in three ways this verse 9 tells us. The first is he's a brother and participant in the tribulation. Now understand, this is not talking about the end times tribulation, the seven years tribulation, okay? that's just not what this is talking about. The form of the language in it just very makes it very, very clear that that's not what John is talking about. The, the word has this idea of I'm a brother and a partner with you in the oppressions, in the affliction that's going on. Ninety five, ninety six AD at this period of time, John is about 90 years old and in this period of time, uh, the Christians are getting huge persecution under the rule of Domitian and and just stuff that are taking place and, and and John saying I'm a brother participant in that with you and he's in it big by the way because John has been uh, cast away to the island of patmos and let's just say this you don't want to go there for a vacation you don't even want to go there for a rest stop okay The island of Patmos is desolate. I'm just not even going to give the pictures of it. It's just the reality. It's just desolate. You just don't want to go there. It's completely out of the way of real traffic. Only times people would end up there is either they're banished there or they're on a boat coming across storms hit up and they've got to like, it's dire stop on a piece of rock. Uh, That's Patmos. And John is sent there to die. And he's sent there to die because, look at the text, because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to pause on this because I think oftentimes we think of people like John, you know, the big boys, that they're not quite one of us. Um, they have something special I don't. They really don't understand my reality because they live in a big boy, big world. High flute in reality. There's just a tendency for us to think that way. And so when someone like a John says brother and participant, there can kind of be the thing of it's like, yeah, that's nice, but you really don't get my world. True? I, I think it is. I just want to remind us that John has been banished to an island because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And his brothers and sisters in Christ are still on the mainland, if you will, also suffering. But the truth of the matter is, is John's the one who's gotten the big target on his back. I mean, he's 90 years old. Just let the dude die. No. What you do is you take the big boy and you make a model out of him. I bring this up because I do think there's a tendency for us to read people like in Scripture that are, you know, the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Josephs and the the Jacobs and, you know, all these kind of guys and the Johns, and we just go, good for them, but they just don't know my life. And may I remind us, they do. In fact, I just want to kind of say this. Over the last 10 years, I've just had some opportunities to kind of be Um, unique situations to be able to watch. I'll just call it some big guys in the faith. I've had some times to watch them and see them and um, observe them in various ways. And Here's what I've learned. Bigger ministry impact, more pain. Bigger ministry impact, bigger target on your back. And I understand why I think that, oh, John, he's John, or these other people, they're the other people. They don't understand my life. They're in a highfalutin life. But I just want to say, especially in a social media gone mad world, friends, they know more than you and I know about suffering. And I love the fact that a guy like John, says, I'm your brother and I'm a participant with you in this. By the way, do you notice participant in tribulation on account of Jesus? I mean, he gets that. But also the second thing, he's a brother participant in the kingdom. Because when you say just a brother participant in tribulations, I understand it's like, whoa, that, that sounds like a bummer. By the way, with that, how often have you heard someone come and say, you know, hey, come to Jesus and experience tribulations. Now come. That's not the way it goes nowadays. And maybe we need to do more of that. So I just want to kind of say this out on the table. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as you watch what's happening today and what's taking place with this guy before the risen, magnified Lord, I just want to say, um, hey, um, Jesus wants you part of his team. Come and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and experience tribulations for the name. And it's worth it. It's worth it. By the way, do you see here, and I say that because the next one is the kingdom. You're a brother and participant in the kingdom. It's not just all the tribulation stuff in this time, point in time. And by the way, when it talks about brother and participant in the kingdom, it's not the millennial kingdom that it's referring to. It's talking about the sphere of God's uh, family at this present time. It's when you come to receive Jesus Christ as your savior and dedicate your life to him, living for him. You're part of the family. You're in the kingdom, man. You're in the kingdom. And yes, there are tribulations in our times today. Get it, get it, get it. But I'm telling you, you're in the kingdom and that's awesome. That's a wonderful thing. And John's like, I'm in the kingdom with you. I'm like, I can't wait to re- like really get in the, the real deal, full out uh, kingdom of the eternal state, because I want to talk to John. I love this guy. I just love this guy. And and he feels for people. He just really does. The third, John says, I'm a brother and participant in the patient endurance Uh, I've talked in the past, a long time ago, in James chapter one. There's this word "hupomena." It means to remain under. Here in this form, it's "hupomone," and it has this idea of remaining under, but it's remaining under an expectation. In the text, is what he's talking about. It's the patient endurance of waiting under the promise that Jesus Christ is going to return. How some days it's like, you know, people just are like, you guys are so knuckleheads. Saying, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. And like, where's the the reality, dude? Show me, man. Wait under that patient endurance. I'm telling you, God's word says he's coming back. He's coming back. Wait under that. It's hard sometimes. Because I'm just like, get on with the program, man. Get on with it. Wait under that. We're waiting under that together. John, brother and participant in the tribulation, in the kingdom, and in patient expectation. Let's keep reading. I, John, your brother and part- partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, patient endurance, that are in Jesus on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. If you know scripture, it's not talking about the eschatological Lord's day or the future Lord's day. The terminology here, it's just talking about I was, I was in the spirit on resurrection Sunday. That, that's what it's talking about. Uh, so I was in the Spirit on Sunday, and I heard behind me, he, he what? He, he heard, okay? Understand, we're hearing right now. Uh, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. What kind of a voice? A loud voice. Like, like say it loud. Uh, what kind of a voice? Yeah. A loud voice, okay? And it was a voice. It wasn't a noise. It wasn't just like, Ah! Okay, it wasn't just a noise that had meant nothing. It was a voice, a real voice coming from a a voice giver. (laughs) And it sounded like a trumpet. How does it go back in the day of this period of time? Describing a voice, a trumpet, a trumpet in that day would be a call to worship. A trumpet makes a noise above everything else. It just grabs your attention when you hear that, especially back then. When they heard the trumpet sound, it was battle time, or it was come worship time. And so it's a voice like that, that when it's loud and it's just speaking, and you're like, whoa, all eyes on that. And and John heard that voice, and and he hears this voice saying this, verse 11, "Uh, write what you see. Write what you what? Okay, he hasn't really seen anything yet, has he? He's telling about what he's heard right now. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. We're going to get after these starting next week to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon and Thyatira and, and to Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. It's a loud voice. It's a trumpet voice. And it says, write what you see and send it to seven churches. Why these seven churches? Because he said. Seriously. Because he said so. Yeah, but Doug, you know, those seven churches, they're kind of fit in a movement and a pattern. They were post offices in the day, and so information was flowing through. And and that may be true, and that may be all good. I'm going to tell you, when we get to these seven churches, I'm just not going to get that deep into it, because here's the deal. The one with the loud voice and the trumpet said these seven. And and when we go through Revelation, oftentimes people just want to get into playing games, like, oh, man, it meant this, and maybe it meant this. And and, and sometimes it's just okay to go... you know, why not 21? Why not 14? Why seven? Because the voice said seven. And be okay with that, all right? So why seven? Because the voice said seven, all right? And by the way, send them what? Send them a book. In other words, a complete writing. Uh, this is important because just understand, in other words, he didn't send one letter to one church, one to another, one to another, one to another, one to another. He, he put it all together and he had them all see it. They all read the whole book. Essentially, what you and I are reading is what they read. By the way, that also has implications for us because as we start digging into these seven churches, know this, those seven churches read about the other six. And I don't mean that like, who's better? I mean that more from a standpoint of learning out of churches. What are they doing well and what are they not doing well? And these churches read about the other churches and heard what uh, the Lord had to say to each of them. So we've got them sent, and, 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 and he's to write a book about what you see, okay? That leads us into verse 12. Then I turn to what? See, all right? John is about to see some stuff and write what he sees. Then I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me. In other words, it wasn't the other stuff around that was gathering his attention. It was this voice, this loud trumpet-like voice, got to see that, okay? And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. So what are these seven golden lampstands? Well, the text tells us that they're seven golden lampstands. But what do they mean? It means that there's seven golden lampstands standing there and John sees them as he's going to look at the voice. Well, let's just kind of hang with that for a little bit. Uh, Ultimately, let's see if scripture interprets scripture. It doesn't need me to. Let's let scripture interpret scripture. Here we keep going, verse uh, uh, 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Whoa. What is the book of Revelation about? The book of Revelation is about seeing Jesus. And my word, get a sight on this. Let's, let's work this out a little bit. Verse 13. And in the midst of the land stands one like a son of man. That term is, I think as we read it in English, it's like, oh, so he was the son of Joseph. Kind of like birth, he was one less than. And understand in that that time, the term son of wasn't referring to that here in that case. It's it's not saying that Doug is the son of Jerry, uh, my dad kind of a thing. Son of, uh, at that time, had the uh, reality of speaking of equivalency. Uh, you're, you're, you're just like that. That's why, by the way, the term son of God talks about the fact when Jesus uses that, he said, I'm the equivalent one of God. I am God. And here he's saying son of man, and I'm the equivalent one of man, which by the way, the gospel of Mark uses just intensely throughout it, Jesus using that term, because he is the one who represents man. We need a perfect one representing us. He's the son of, but, but know this, uh, the term is not just that. The term is actually something more Significant that. uh, Please turn to Daniel chapter seven just for a minute or two. Daniel chapter seven, if it helps at all in my Bibles, page 744 um, for you. There's uh, Psalms and a little later to the right, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, do the fan, go to the contents, you know, whatever (laughs) to find it. Daniel chapter seven. Uh, I just want to read so we understand this term because it's the first thing that he uses. Daniel, or uh, I'm sorry, John had a picture. He's like, and in the middle, I saw one who looked like the son of man. Wait, what's going on in his head? I think Daniel chapter seven is going on in his head. Look at Daniel chapter seven, starting at verse nine. Daniel here is at a time where he's uh, having a vision and he's writing about it. And he says, verse nine, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days, which is God, the father took his seat and his clothing was white as snow And the hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment. You got to feel for what's going on? And the books were opened. Go to verse 13. He says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And know this, that that term throughout all of, uh, of the Old Testament and into the New Testament was understood as a title. There's one coming, uh, Genesis 3.1 and we see that all through the Old Testament. There's one that's coming, that's going to be the son of man, that's going to be the redeemer, that's going to be the messiah. The son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and to that all people's nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And we go back to Revelation 1, centuries later, 95, 96 AD, John uh, in this, and he says, I saw one that was like a son of man. It's a title know this, this is the one, this is the one, and notice what he's wearing, in the midst of it, he's the son of man clothed with a long robe, long robe, uh, we're talking about royalty in that, uh, this is a king, a uh, king Jesus, and then he goes on, and with a golden sash, A golden sash was one of the things that the Old Testament priests were told by God to wear. That was kind of their outfit. That was their clothing that God had. So we already have here what John is saying, essentially, is I'm seeing the son of man, the Daniel 7 one, and I'm seeing a king and a priest. Uh, Verse 14, the hairs on his head were white like wool, as white as snow. Boy, Daniel 7 verse 9 says, the father, his, his hair was like pure wool and talked about even clothing white as snow. I think here it's essentially, it's kind of this idea that you, you get and he's seeing. I think this is really the way he's seeing him. And it's like, like he's equivalent to the father. The father him have same attributes, just unique roles uh, in, in redemptive history. King, priest, and Lord. And then his eyes were like a flame of fire. I mean I can just see that now, like you know, as a kid with cartoons growing up and you know just or now with computer graphics stuff. Can't you just see that? Like eyes that just like I mean, just burn, man. Infallible gaze penetrates with piercing clarity. Hebrews four thirteen says nothing is hidden from his sight. All is laid bare to his sight, his eyes like a flame of fire. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Back in that day, the the king's feet were understood as a kind of an image of authority. That was the case because kings back in the day were put on elevated thrones. And so when people would come in before the king, they were always under his feet. And so the feet out of that over time just kind of became understood as an authority thing because you're under my feet and and here are the feet of bronze and uh, here he is, king, priest, lord, and really judge in what's taking place. And then his voice was like the roar of many waters. You know, I just think of Niagara Falls if you've been there. And you've been, if you've been down in the, in the area, the, kind of the base area, and, and the waters from the rivers come together, various places come together, and, and all just like collide over this huge fall. And the noise is just deafening. It, it's just like you, just, you feel this power that's there. And, and it's like you, you are so small in front of that noise that it's like I'm a little nothing That could just crush me in a moment. And it's like, that kind of a voice is just a deafening, just authoritative voice. What it says it does, it is a sovereign voice where it's going, it's going. And I'm just telling you, you and I, we're not stopping it. That kind of a voice. We've already gotten the idea that it's loud and, and it's a trumpet voice. And here it's a roar of many waters. Verse 16, and in his right hand he held seven stars. By the way, every word matters in the Bible. Why not just hand in a hand? I mean, is he anti-left hand kind of guy here? No, the right hand was the hand that was understood of the right hand is what blessing was given from. So when blessing in the Old Testament was given to someone, it was always the right hand. That's why you'll see that in the Old Testament. That's why you even see Jesus with the disciples. Can I sit at your right hand? It's like the special place. The the right-hand kind of a place is what's key and important. And what's in his right hand? You tell me. Stars. Oh, come on. They can't be real stars. How how about this? Uh, How how about their stars? Let's see if scripture tells us what they are, okay? And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. I mean, come on! You can't talk with a giant sword. You know, like, uh, 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 true. But what's he saying? He's giving a reference here to what's happening. May I just note this? It's a sharp sword and not a dull sword. It's a two-edged sword, not a single-edged sword, and it's a sword, not a pocket knife. It's a double-edged, sharp sword. Cut through that baby! I mean, that thing can cut through anything. When it speaks, it speaks in the kind of a way that has power and authority and it just cuts to the chase of it all. I mean, whoa. I don't want to debate that, (laughs) that guy. It's just, he knows it all. You don't fight back against those words. And then look in his face. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. By the way, it wasn't just like a, man, his face was like a bright light. It was like the sun. And it wasn't like the rising sun. And it wasn't like the setting sun. Rising sun, the setting sun, man, you can go out and really enjoy that and sit and watch and just be enamored by its beauty, right? But, But the noonday sun, I mean, blind me. Now, I even have two eyes that dilate a little bit different. And so yeah, I know I'm a freak. And, and so, in it, when I seriously, when I go out in the sun, it's just, I'm, even kids, when my baseball pictures as a kid, I got one eye shut. Because I, they always like, you know, make you look in the sun and when they take the picture. Like, what's the deal with that? It was just the cruelest thing. Put all these little kids up there looking at and say, smile! That was usually what happened. And, and I'll just say, the sun is just blinding. It wasn't a flashlight. It wasn't a bright light. It was the sun, a bright, full strength out. You can't look at that. I mean, it's just amazing in it all. By the way, the, the sun has the ability to bless. I mean, it provides warmth and growth and life. And by the way, the sun can also burn and bring to judgment. So what are we seeing here? John saw... Title, Son of Man. He saw uh, him wearing a long robe, a golden sash. We see here in the text, he saw his hair, he saw his eyes, he saw his feet. He talks about his voice. He talks about what's in his right hand. He talks about his mouth. He talks about his face. I just say it this way. He saw King Jesus, Priest Jesus, Judge Jesus, Lord Jesus. Here's what's intriguing to me, and help me understand this. Did John not Joe <laughs> did John not know Jesus? I mean, some sixty years earlier, John had lived with Jesus for a good period of time, but he's describing something altogether different he he 's not describing the uh, Poor carpenter's son. He's not describing the hippie sandaled teacher. He's not describing the one that was beaten and mocked. This is full majesty Jesus. Full power King Jesus. By the way, this is the Jesus that's always been. Friends, all of this should make us adore even more the Jesus of the Gospels. Because what we just read about, the Revelation 1 Jesus, that was the exact same Jesus that came, Philippians chapter 2, that came and put himself in the place of being a suffering servant to the cross. And the Jesus that we're reading here, the full majesty, the full power Jesus that we're reading here in Revelation chapter 1, that's the exact same one that at any moment in time, that when people were mocking, I'm telling you, the sharp double-edged sword could have come out and he could have sliced them all in a second. And those bronze feet, they could have like come out and just crushed people for what they were doing. And the holiness of it all, in the face of it all, just could have like come out and just like, let me, lay me on you for real, man. And just, wow. But the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1, out of love for you and I, set all of this aside. All of that to come and to live and to die for you and I, friends, it makes the cross and the resurrection and, and the living Jesus Christ at the time of the disciples even that much more magnificent, doesn't it? Followers of Christ, I think you and I, we need to start seeing a bigger Jesus. John knew the Jesus of the Gospels. But boy, he's describing someone altogether unique. So what does he do? Verse 17. When I saw him, it had been 60 years since I saw him. So I ran up and I gave him a hug, man. I high-fived him. like... 60 years oh man it's good to see you my friend wouldn't that that be what we would sorry (laughs) wouldn't that be what we would do when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead this is the one that Jesus loved okay for proper application of this Because I honestly, I think sometimes proper application of this gets taken in the wrong direction. Was John a believer of Jesus Christ or an unbeliever? Was he redeemed in Christ or unredeemed? He was a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ approaching uh, Jesus in full majesty and power. So I want to talk to you, those of you who know Jesus Christ as your savior. Because that's what the text is talking about. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I just invite you to consider here what's happening in all this. And I would invite you to enter in to a relationship with this Jesus. But for those who know Jesus Christ, I ask this in application. What's been your posture over the last week before Jesus? What's been your posture over the last month as to Jesus Christ? Is it kind of like, Whatever. Doing my thing. Is it kind of like, I just don't want to hear. Is it kind of been trying to do that? Hey, high five, man, bro. It's like, that's just so not fitting. Has it been anger? What are you doing? Maybe it's just kind of like, Do you even know what you're doing? Have you been trying to hold his hand like a boyfriend? Father of Christ, I think we need to fall face down. And I don't enough. Physically? or in my heart. And I'm just gonna say, we're probably in this brothers and participants together. Revelation one, Jesus changes how you view him in life and it's time to fall face down. Before we finish, just a couple more verses because this is so, as a guy, I'll use the term sweet. (laughs) Still retain my manliness and use the word. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he, he who? He, the one that's just described. He laid his right hand on me. Was he going to crush him? Look, saying... Fear not. How sweet. Friends, that actually means that this mighty, awesome power, Jesus, knows what you're thinking and feeling. And he doesn't take his bronze feet and just like crush John's head. He takes, by the way, which hand? The hand of blessing. You got to picture it. John is on his face to the ground. He's just like thinking he's going to die. And, and, and for, for the one he just described to do this, it's just like there, there is even a coming down to and putting his hand on. Fear not, man. Do you know that, Jesus? I mean this majesty and this power. And yet this grace and this kindness and this love. He knows where you're at. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. He just doesn't know about it. He owns it. Right hand, fear not. Seriously, what more can I say? That's my king.
1: The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory, he's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. Death
0: couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's Marky!